Hey everybody, Adam here in what might be the last sermon ever preached at Trinity Life Church, Nehemiah chapter 13. We did it. We studied a whole book of the Bible together. I hope that you read this book all the way through multiple times that God gave you the deposit that was appointed and anointed for you to carry you into the next season. Now we are going to see what it is to be friends in legacy because guess what? In this chapter, Nehemiah is away from the people and the people get to decide what they're going to get up to when the leader's not around. You likewise, we likewise are in transition and the leadership will be in flux and you get to decide what is going to happen with your legacy when the leaders are not around, potentially. And so let's read and let's see. So on that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people and in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God for they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water but hired Balaam against them to curse them yet our God turned the curse into a blessing as soon as the people heard the law they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent okay so this is the law of God and they knew that Okay, they knew that this isn't a racist thing. This is this is um, God's people were being pulled in to worship other gods. And there is no other gods. There's one God. There is the God, Yahweh, the God of the Scriptures, the God who created, the God whom uh, was turned away from, and the God who is trying to lovingly reconcile back to. Right <clears throat> now. Before this, Eliashib the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, and who was related to who? Tobiah. This is, remember Tweedledee and Tweedledum? Here he is. Prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. Okay, so, like, what's going on here? Okay, the place that they were used to store the offering of God from God's people, they turned into a bedroom for Tobiah, the enemy of the community. Okay, this happens so easily. This happens so easily in a community. People who cause dissension, derision, division... For some reason, we love them so much and we set them up in places of honor. They made this guy a bedroom in God's house. He'd been initially trying to tear the community apart. He'd he'd been trying to stop the work that God's people were doing to build the walls, set up the gates to keep people like him out. And somehow he gets a place of honor above the priests and Levites, above um, the people who were supposed to mediate the presence of God to the people of God. Don't we often do that? See, this, this is, see, gossip, slander, division is so decisive, right? And, and for some reason, we, we are so tricked by it. We just are. We just, 
We're attracted to it. We're like a fly to a lamp, right? And we just let it kill us. So much so that we give God's worst enemies places of honor in our life. How's it going for you? What are you giving a place of honor in your life? Who are you giving a place of honor in your life? What story, what narrative are you listening to? Potentially that would allow you to give an enemy of God place of highest honor in God's temple. Scary thought. And they ultimately, like the leaders of the church, ultimately were supposed to benefit from the, those contributions. That was how you paid the church staff and the, the, the pastor of the church. Is, um, and now you're giving it, you're literally clearing all that stuff out of the way. You say, this stuff doesn't matter. Honor doesn't matter. God's leaders don't matter. The leaders in the church don't matter. This person, this enemy, this person who divides, this person who is not even supposed to be here in the first place. This person who has a history of doing this, let's put them, let's make a bedroom for them in the temple, the place where we are supposed to actually worship and sacrifice in reverence and honor and purity. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king. Um, And after some time, I asked leave of the king and came to Jerusalem. And then I discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. The leader goes away and everyone runs amok. And he hears about it. And he says, I'm sorry, king. I got to go back. I just got to go back. I got something horrible going on and it's all going to break. And so I got to go back and take care of business. Right? See, we're one generation away from the whole church going extinct. You as a parent, your legacy, your greatest legacy will be your children. A good friend of mine uh, told me this recently. I hope it's true. That historically, like if you aggregated the growth of the the church from Jesus' day to our day, um, the the amount of people who call themselves Christians in the world averages out to be 3% population growth per year, right? Which is actually a natural growth curve for a population of people. Um, it's, it, you know, sure there's been these explosive revivals, but then there's also been major detractions in that. And so all of those average out over the year to just be, uh, the, the growth of a family, having some kids, raising them up to follow Jesus and them having some kids and raising them up to follow Jesus. The greatest task, the greatest legacy you could ever leave behind is a parent raising their kids to follow Jesus in their footsteps. It is the most impactful and it is traditionally uh, set the track record for the growth of the church over the span of time. May our legacy be our sons and daughters at the least. And if you are so inclined, may you have many spiritual sons and daughters who also come after you. So manage your household and then go seek to manage the household of God if you have the capacity, the anointing, and the ability. And here's the reaction from the leader. 
Here's the reaction from the leader. When stuff like this happens, here's the reaction from the leader. And I was very angry. I was very angry. It's okay that leaders get angry when bad things happen. And I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders that they cleansed the chambers, and I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. Okay. This reminds you of anything? Do we often get these messed up pictures of Jesus, right? That he's just some fluffy, fluffy, nice hippie guy, right? Remember the scene where he literally goes into the temple and he's flipping tables over and he's, remember, whipping people? Okay. That's our Jesus. And why did he do that? Because he said his father's house is supposed to be what? A house of prayer. Jesus got angry when the church was not dedicated to prayer. He was willing to flip over tables, destroy property, and beat people over it. What do you get upset your leaders for? Do you let them get angry? Just something to pray about. I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them. So that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field. Right? This whole thing that arises in the church when the church starts to run out of money. Oh, you could just be co-vocational. Right? You could work two jobs. You could do this job and that job. Right? And they're like, hey, you ain't going to pay me? I'm going to go work a field. I'm going to go work a job. You know where we're at in the church right now? This is the legacy of the Christian church in North America. Nobody wants to do paid ministry anymore. All the big churches, they can't hire people. I'm a hot commodity. I can go work for any church in Toronto. I don't want to work for any church in Toronto. Right? I know God has something for my wife and I. We've thought about it a lot. I'm excited for it. I think we are really deep down what our soul needs is what we're going to get in our ne- in this next decade. And I'm excited for it. And you cannot convince me to go to any big flashy church to receive this. It's not there. These churches are bleeding people and they cannot hire staff. Enrollment at some of the biggest seminaries in the city is dropping like crazy. We're going to do other things. I don't know why. Because the enemy has creeped into the church and the people of God, the leaders of God's house are not being appreciated or honored. So they've gone off to do other things. You know you do not have a culture of honor when you cannot keep people around, especially staff. If you can't even pay people to do the job. See, the church in Toronto has the money. They can't hire the people. The people don't even want the money to do that. Because we don't have a culture of honor. We're destroying the church from the inside out. So I confronted the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? What will be our legacy? What will be your legacy? I hope Trinity Life, as you go out, that we are a part of setting a beautiful new legacy that actually, actually experiences and is a catalyst for revival, true revival, not just hokey pokey, flashy word revival that we like to say and spout out. We got no dog in that fight anymore as a church organization. So I can say almost whatever the heck I want. True revival, the real thing. 
the spirit-filled movement that where one organization doesn't just grow crazy, crazily, but that the whole church in the city experiences a massive revival of faithfulness to God. What will our legacy look like? How will we accomplish that? What's the vision? Who are the leaders and where are the people? Jesus comes and he says, will I find faith on the earth? Will I? What will be our legacy? Continue on. And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Right. So he's putting everything back together. We broke it. He's putting it back together. It ultimately takes godly leadership who are angry and have a mission to put things back together, set it straight, restore it, and get it working properly. Careful to criticize those people. Say, oh, they're so frustrating. They're always pushing me. It's like, yeah, right? Because we ain't doing it properly. We ain't doing it right. And the people who are trying to get it done and put it back in order, stop trying to slow them down. Stop fighting with them. Stop bickering against them. Stop having the meeting after the meeting. Stop gossiping and slandering. Let them be angry. Let them be on a mission and let them restore dignity to God's house and God's people. Then all Judah brought the tithe of grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. And I appointed as treasurers over the storehouses, Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Padiah of the Levites, and as their assistant, Hanan, the son of Zachur, son of Mataniah, for they were considered reliable, and their duty was to distribute to their brothers. Okay, he said it right. He found good, faithful men, and he put them in the right place. Remember me, O God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. See, you can imagine this, right? You can imagine there was a fight. You can imagine it was not everyone liked it, right? And he's he's so, I bet the interaction was, was just so violent and troublesome and tough for him to deal with. He It almost seems like he feels like he's sinning against God and he needs to remind him, God, I'm not trying to sin against you, right? Because he's He's pretty forcefully fixing this situation, right? It's like, God, don't forget about the good things I did because all this stuff's happening and it's gone crazy and I might even seem to be acting crazy because I'm trying to fix it all, right? We can make our leaders feel so bad for trying to fix big problems in the church. There's his little prayer. This again reminds us and shows us Nehemiah is a man who has great intimacy with God. He doesn't mind coming before God, being laid bare, open and honest with him. And in those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Uh, Tyrians also who lived in the city brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself, exclamation point. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil thing you are doing profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act this way and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. Guys, like I said, see, Your fathers, the thing your fathers did. See, these things carry on and carry forward. We, our legacy, Trinity life, we made disciples. And then, did they make disciples? Maybe some of them made some disciples. And then what? 
See, it all can end in the snap of a finger. It all can end in one generation. At the least, please, without force or compulsion, but in a beautiful, loving, kind way, like God our Father does, bring your children along in the ways of the Lord. Go read Deuteronomy 6. That's your homework. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned them and said, why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. <laughs> I will beat you up, man. The Sabbath is a big deal. Say, that guy's got a certain personality type, doesn't he? It's personality type J-E-R-K. Right? I get it. I get it. What makes you that angry? What would make you that angry? Probably if they took all your money, Right? Or if they kicked in the doors of your house? Would you get that angry if your church was just doing whatever the heck they wanted on the Sabbath? They forgot to create special moments of reverence and awe? What if they dishonored the leaders? Forgot the legacy they were a part of? Did the sins of their same fathers? Does that make you angry and want to beat somebody up? Something to pray about. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O oh my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. He's praying. He's constantly, This is like really got him worn out. We've seen him pray and pray and pray. And then he goes on and he causes a ruckus. He stirs things up. He's fixing things. He's creating new systems and structures and he's reorganizing the leadership chart so that things can be back to running smoothly. Sometimes we just need to turn it all upside down, don't we? When it's not running properly, sometimes you have to turn it all upside down. When it's able to be corrupted so easily, sometimes you have to turn it all upside down. That's okay. In those days also I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon and Moab, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. And I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, You shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Okay, this dude is ripping people's hair out, beating people, and telling people who they can and cannot marry. It's like he's totally unhinged, right? Or are they unhinged for letting their sons and daughters marry people who worship other gods? See, here's something that I do often have to remind people of sometimes. And as you go into a new community... As this transition continues to happen, and as we wind down our time together, remember, this may be our last sermon. Watch out for the things you end up fighting for. Right? This is what we do in North America. Hey, what's the big deal, man? What's the big deal? No big deal. Just marry who they want. Come on, man. Why are you going to be such a stickler? 
Why gotta why gotta be like that? And you end up fighting for something lesser than what you were made for. You end up fighting for the other side. You end up fighting for the worship of other gods. You end up fighting for the defaming of God's people. You end up fighting for the defiling of God's people. Because of what? Maybe was it some messed up sense of compassion? This is a great question to ask. Right? We know what it looks like when the right goes too far. What does it look like when the left goes too far? Right? Is it Nehemiah who's crazy? Or is it the other side that's crazy? Something to pray about. Uh, <clears throat> Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God. And God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made even him to sin. Shall we then listen to you? And do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women. See, here's the, here's the lesson here. Everyone always thinks that they are the exception to the rule. Even King Solomon. Right? This is where victim mentality comes from. This is where blame shifting comes from. This is where not wanting to take responsibility comes from. This is not where not wanting to own anything comes from. This is where not wanting to build, just wanting to tear down comes from. Right? You always think you're the exception. You're not. You're not. May your legacy be one of responsibility, of service, of building, and of fighting for the right things. Be careful what you fight for. And one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sanballat, the Horonite. Here's Tweedledum. Therefore, I chased him from me. Okay. The two people who are ultimately God's enemies made their way into the leadership of God's people and corrupted them. It's a shame. Nehemiah had to chase them. Chase them. He married in. He married in. He got in. Remember them, O oh my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Be careful what you fight for. Fight for the right things. Thus I cleanse them from everything foreign, and I establish the duties of the priests and the Levites, each in his work, and I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. Hopefully, Trinity Life, hopefully the memory of Trinity Life Church, by the Lord on high, will be for the good that we did together as a community. There's plenty of stuff that happened in the middle too. We had our moments like this, where everything got flipped around and upside down. But I hope that you, by Jesus' good grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, will move on from Trinity Life with this one thing. Remembrance of the good that God has done in our midst.
I hope that you are inspired by this book and the story of its writer to continue to do the work of good. That Trinity Life was just a little seed planted in your life that will sprout up and continue to produce fruit. So let me, me remind you of some of the seeds that you can carry with you that will help build, with, uh, build a legacy for you in this city. May you always hear and obey God. That is your success metric, is to love well as you hear and obey God. May you experience up, in, and out. May you worship God with God's people to engage out. And may you always have healthy rhythms like that in your life. In at the organizational level, may you join a church that does up, in, and out well at an organizational level. At a small group level as well, you need up, in, and out. And in your own personal life, up, in, and out. Carry that forward and create a beautiful legacy. Carry forward discovering identity and destiny in Christ every day in order to influence the city and the world. That'd be a little seed to help you on your journey of legacy. May your kids discover identity and destiny in Christ through you so that they can influence the city and the world. May you always remember that you're a kingdom disciple, right? kingdom where the rule and reign of God is, sovereignty of Jesus Christ and the lordship of Jesus Christ over all things and the way in which his rule and reign is and operates affect you, the disciple, who's to hear and obey the voice of the king out on the grid of society in order to see the community of faith arise. And if you ever find yourself trying to do it the other way around, trying to... See, don't do this. Don't just join a church so that you can engage society, so that you can make disciples, so that you can see the kingdom of God come. That's the wrong way to do it. What you should do, seek first the kingdom of God as a disciple who hears and obeys, then on the grid of society to see the community of faith arise. Always start with the kingdom of God. I leave you with those words of Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you, friend. I love you. Be blessed. I can't wait to worship with Jesus with you at our final party together. Let's celebrate 10 years next week. It's going to be fun and joyful. There will be tears, but the Holy Spirit will be present. Jesus will be made much of, and we can remember, oh God, for good. I leave you with that to discuss in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.